Hey, everybody. Welcome back. This is episode 92 of In The Zone. I'm Giancarlo Lino here with Chris Martelli. We're co-hosting this today and uh, got to start off on a negative note. The Toronto Maple Leafs, unfortunately, didn't even qualify for the playoffs this year. They were eliminated in the qualifier. Five games is what it took. Back and forth series with the Columbus Blue Jackets, John Tortorella's team did everything they needed to do, stuck to the game plan, and they're off now. They're in the first round, taking on Tampa once again. So, Chris, another year, another disappointment for the Leafs. What were your thoughts on the series and the team now? Um, first of all, I just want to take my time to congratulate John Tortorella on an outstanding job out coaching Sheldon Keith. I think we all were well aware that that would happen, uh, even though I still thought the result was going to be a little different. Uh, John Tortorella, he, he put everything out there. He talked to his his uh, his teammates, you know, he he his uh, his players. He just I remember I think it was game three. He full on yelled at Dubois, and then the next game he got a hat trick, or later on in the game he got a hat trick. Um, he just knows how to get to his players and like no other. And even in game three, when, when Zach Wierenski went down with that neck injury and the, the Leafs got four goals in like six minutes, I knew that that was way too far-fetched. I, I knew that would not happen again. And of course, game four, game five, um, you know, Zach Wierenski's back in the lineup and he was dominating. And I really did like the way that even the Leafs at times, they, it, looked, it looked like they were in it. But for most of the series, Alino, I, I I said it on Twitter. I think the mo- the more consistent team, the better team won, and it was Columbus in this series. Uh, I love I love what Dubois did. I love what Felino brought. I love what the goalies brought for Columbus because Bobrovsky was not going to bring that effort um, that Corpusalo and Merzlikens brought. So uh, kudos to to the management in Columbus. They did an ap- absolutely outstanding job. That's the first thing. The second thing is, again, I brought it up last week on this podcast. You're you're paying three forwards over $10 million. And the main storyline in this series was the Leafs could not get a goal to save their lives when it mattered. I don't know how many times. I think it was out of the five games. I think three of the five games going into the third period, you don't have a single goal that that's not that's not winning DNA. You're not going to win a game without scoring a goal. That's just that's just how it works. And when Austin Matthews, Mitch Marner, John Tavares, these guys, you have to put them on a line together in order to get any offense generated. You know that the Columbus Blue Jackets did their job to perfection. They shut down the neutral zone perfectly. They didn't let the Leafs cycle. They didn't let them get any momentum going into the offensive zone. They knew what they were doing from day one. And they deserve to get this series win over the Toronto Maple Leafs. Yeah, this is going to be a lot of uh, tough decisions now. Everything they have to do, you look at Dubas, I don't know they're, what they're trying to do. They're, it's like they're escaping accountability. That's what I see from Dubas. It's like they're not addressing a problem. Like I hope that he sees there's a problem with this team. You can't just accept mediocrity if you're the GM, especially in a market like Toronto. We saw what happened with all the other GMs before him all the other coaches before them. Like, this is a market where they accept results. You look at MLSC, all the money they put into the Leafs, especially when Rodgers and Bell took over, it was the Leafs were the top priority, and then they're going to build everyone else to hopefully follow that championship DNA. Well, 
all these years later, Toronto Maple Leafs are the only team that hasn't won a championship. TFC did it first. The Marlies even won a championship. The Argos won a championship. And last year, the Raptors. So if I'm MLSC, I'm looking at the Maple Leafs, and now there's even more pressure on this team because you still can't perform, and they're the team that they put the most money in. So, Chris, if you're looking, if you're Brendan Shanahan, actually, and you're evaluating this team, do you go bring Dubas in a room and says, I know you brought in Sheldon Keefe. I know he's your guy, but it's just not cutting it. We don't feel like he's going to be leading this team. And do you bring in Bruce Boudreau? I think that's a no-brainer for uh, any person that watches hockey. I think Bruce Boudreau is one of the best coaches in the game. You look at what he's doing with the New York Islanders. And when John Tavares got tri- – when uh, he, he walked from New York, a lot of – especially me, a lot of hockey fans thought that the Islanders were potentially going to be a laughing stock for a couple of years. And look what happened with them. They have guys like Matthew Barza, who is, he's booming into a superstar and blossoming into a, a, a great player. Um, you have Anders Lee, who, again, he's not the flashiest goal scorer, but he will score for you. Um, you know, Sheldon Keefe, he was put in a tough position. He came in and you know, midway through the season, uh, you know, Babcock getting fired was kind of a rejuvenation. We all saw that from the Leafs, um, you know, from the bench. But I guess as the season went on, I just I felt like something was missing with Keith. I feel like he didn't necessarily try to to change any lines. Like there were times where I I was looking at like the depth chart and the lines and he would not change the lines for, I I swear it felt like seven games in a row. Like he wouldn't play with the lines enough. And then when it gets to game four, game five, you take out Nick Robertson, a guy who's, who's just trained his ass off to be a part of this team. And you bring back, I love Andreas Janssen. Don't get me wrong, but he was out of, he was out of action since February. And again, this is not February to April. This is August. This is a different NHL. This is where, you know, yes, if you're a coach, you have to make those tough decisions where it's basically a life or death, a risk or a reward. And in this situation, it was unfortunately a big risk and it didn't pan out because Andreas Janssen didn't really generate anything. And I thought Nick Robertson, when he was in the lineup, you know, uh, he had a goal. Yes, the goal wasn't the nicest, but, you know, he he had he he. He shot the puck. You know, a lot of rookies nowadays, they don't have that confidence necessarily to, to shoot as much as, uh, you know, the coaches want them to. But, uh, yeah, I, I really – what Sheldon Keefe did in game five I thought was not necessary at all. You know, you're playing Tavares, Matthews, Marner for about 20, 24, 25 minutes. To me, that just smells desperate at that point. And he didn't really – he didn't really gel with the lines. I don't think he really experimented enough, even with the defensive end. I know, I know, Barry got injured late in the game, but you're you're putting Marinson and Hall on a line and on a pairing. I don't think that I don't think that looks very good at all. So at that point, you maybe have to mix it with Riley. Maybe put Riley with Marinson for a bit, see how that goes, because Marinson doesn't like going in the the neutral and the offensive zone as much as you know Morgan Riley does. But he didn't do any of that, so. Again, first year as a coach, understandable. You're going to make those mistakes. But again, I think Bruce Boudreau, if he was on the Leafs, I feel like this team would be completely different. I feel like he would definitely trade Nylander. He would definitely trade Kerfoot. He would definitely trade Janssen. And he would get a little more gritty guys like maybe a Jake DeBrusque, a Tom Wilson, you know, a Brandon Sutter. You need players like that, especially in playoff hockey. If you want to be successful, the Leafs' DNA, it's not championship. They're very skilled, 
but it's not a championship DNA. And the Leafs have to address that come this offseason, whether that's firing Keefe, firing Shanahan, firing everybody. If, if you want to really go all in on that, you could fire Shanahan, Dubas, and Keefe. But at the end of the day, Alino, the biggest enemy and the biggest roadblock is themselves. And they've been doing that for years. And, you know, if you're going to shoot 2% of the shots on, on scoring chances, you're not winning any hockey games. So I think the Leafs, they need to reevaluate. They need to look in the mirror, especially guys like Marner, who didn't score in this series, who I thought at times he looked like the best player on the ice. But if you're going to be the best player on the ice, you have to generate offensive chances and you have to score. And he didn't either of those. Well, he, he generated a little bit of offense, but not much. But uh, that's basically all I have to say with the Leafs. I hope that, you know, this offseason they really they look at they, they evaluate, you know, what their identity is and maybe they can change some ways. But Alino, I think we're in for a rude awakening this offseason. I think there's going to be a lot of different changes for for the Leafs organization. Do you think they should go after like those veteran names like uh, Joe Thornton or do you think they should just look at their team and make trades instead of going after the free agents? I think at, at this point in time, you need to look more at trading because of the salary cap. And it's a, it's an issue. I mean, it's a bearing issue. The salary cap is not going up because of COVID-19. And I think that's going to slow down the process for a lot of hockey teams, like even teams like Minnesota, who have guys like Kevin Fiala. I think he's a free agent now in RFA. He's going to have to break bank there. Um, but yeah, the Leafs, they need to trade a contract, man. They need to trade Nylander. They need to trade somebody if they want to even improve on their defensive end because we know Barry, he's a he's a free agent. We know CeCe's a free agent. We know uh, Travis Dermott's an RFA. So they really got to make these decisions, uh, Alino. And I think it has to start with a trade. I think you need to trade maybe Andreas Janssen, maybe a Bracco. See what your developmental, your guys in development can really bring. Uh, if they if they have any value, like a Bracco, um, you can maybe even go and maybe trade Maybe a Lilgren, if, if you really don't see him panning out here, I, I really don't really see Lilgren being that elite top two defenseman. I think I'd rather have Rasmus Sandin, at least what I've seen so far. And maybe you could see what maybe a Pierre Engvall, a Kerfoot, what those guys can maybe bring first. They're not as sexy as, you know, Nylander when it comes to uh, value, but just start small. Because that the thing with the Leafs, Alino, is they go all in. Every year they go, they look at the biggest fish. Like I, I've been hearing for years that the Leafs are going to get Roman Yossi. They're going to get Petrangelo. They're going to get Stamkos. Like they're going after all these monstrous players. But at the end of the day, we already have our, our dragons. We have Matthews. We have Tavares. We have Marner. We have these guys. These guys are supposed to be the guys that are carrying this organization. So Alino, at one point, I think trade to get some sort of improvement, but at the same time, I'm looking at the free agents next year, and it's not looking that half bad. I think we need a couple a couple defensemen. I, I'd say maybe at minimum two because Marinson, I love Justin Hall. I thought he was a great, consistent defenseman, but I don't think he's good enough to log top four minutes in the NHL. And Morgan Riley, man, for goodness sakes, this guy needs help. He hasn't had it for a long time. This guy, I'm worried. I'm worried he's going to want to leave because he hasn't had the help. So... Even at this point, we're even asking ourselves, do we trade Freddie Anderson? He's got one year left. And is he really going to want to stay here for 
what's what's he gonna get, Alina? What do you think he's gonna get? Eight mil? What do you think he's gonna ask for, Freddie Anderson? The whole man. If he asks for eight mil, that's a indicator for Dubas. Okay, let's uh, get on the phone and call some GMs. I'm not giving him eight million dollars. If he got past the first round in uh, multiple years, maybe. But uh, you gave him that contract, the one he has now, based on his performance in Anaheim, which was pretty good. He got some success there, but. In terms of what he did the last five years with the Leafs, they had their goalie and uh, they went through the first round every year with Boston. Washington didn't work out. So I would just give him a two-year deal at best, maybe a little bit of an increase of what he's getting now. But if he's asking for $8 million, you have to look at another goalie. Uh, there's so Look at guys like Darcy Kemper of what they did when they got an opportunity in Arizona. You look at Carpasalo, what he's been able to do in his opportunity. So... I think the goalie market, you're, it's going to come down to scouting. I don't think you can really go after a guy like a Bobrovsky, like those type of guys that want those high-end contracts. So that's going to be pretty tough to evaluate, especially Anderson. I was saying the other day, Alina, to one of my friends at work, do you see the Leafs potentially trading a Freddie Anderson to the New York Rangers for maybe like a Gorgiev and maybe, uh, maybe a, a, a defenseman? It would be... Yeah, that's a tough one too because now with Lundqvist, it might they might actually buy him out. I think because they see the salary of where they're at, they know they have Lafreniere. So the amount of money that Lundqvist's contract is going to cost them in the buyout, they already have in a high end top six forward in Lafreniere. So I think now is probably a time where they'll buy out Lundqvist. Maybe the Leafs can get Lundqvist on a cheap deal. He can be a veteran. Then you can look at Anderson, maybe move them out you have jack campbell you have uh guys in the organization so i think right now is probably a time where they're they'll consider trading anderson maybe take a chance on a lundquist if he doesn't retire or uh go for a trade on a another backup but i think the defense has to be the top priority oh for sure no doubt about it i guess a few months to talk about the leafs because every week there's going to be something with them they'll be in the headlines but on to the first round of the stanley cup playoffs we have Columbus and Tampa playing basically three games the other day. What did you think of Columbus? And uh, do you think they can pull off the upset this year? Holy crap, man. This game was frustrating for me. I mean, two great teams. One is an offensive juggernaut. They have been for at least three years now with Kucherov just torching the league. And when Stamkos is healthy, there's really no one potentially better than him. So... I was surprised with this game, how they could not score on Corpus Salo at all. Um, 85 shots. He broke the record. Congrats again to him. He's had a hell of a playoff so far. Um, I think he needs to get paid and he has to get recognized because he's amazing right now. Corpus Salo kind of it's he's kind of emerging like how Tristan Jari has for Pittsburgh really under the radar. And all of a sudden he's 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 coming into his own as a potentially uh, consistent starting goalie. So first of all, kudos to Corpus Salo, but man, oh man, that game was frustrating. When it goes to five overtimes and you can't score a goal, yes, it's playoff hockey and it's all about defense and it's all about trying to, you know, physically run down your team. But man, Tampa Bay owned Columbus in game one. They 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 had, like, the, the chances were like four to one for Tampa Bay. Columbus just had so much heart. They kept coming and kept coming. And Tampa Bay just, they were looking down the bench like, what do we have to do to beat Columbus? And Columbus swept them last year. Um, I think this is going to be the series to watch, Tampa Bay and Columbus. I think this is the series that 
can really, really open eyes for a lot of hockey fans, not even just to see who can win the cup, but just to see who will be fantastic for the next years, next five, six years to come. I mean, man, Columbus, I, when I was watching them against Toronto, they have like five guys that are under 22 playing on their team right now. And no one talks about these guys. Texier, Liam Foody, a good guy from Vaughn, you know, Dubois is around 23, 24 years old. These guys are unreal right now. And of course, their back end were Rensky and Jones, both under 25. That's simply phenomenal. So I think this team is a threat. Um, a lot of people, you know, you, you, you get rid of Duchesne, Bobrovsky, and Panarin all in one year, and everyone just screams, this is going to be a disaster. But when you have John Tortorella, not, nothing is impossible. And he, he's showing it right now. Um, Alino, the question that you asked, who do, do, you, do I think Columbus can beat Tampa Bay? I don't think so. I think this is the year where Tampa Bay, after what I saw in game one, they just look hungry. They, they haven't forgotten that sweep last year. They're rested. And I think they're absolutely going to come out and they're going to dominate. We got to remember, Stamkos didn't even play in this game. So Braden Point, he really showed out in this game. Anthony Sorelli looked insane. Nikita Kucherov, of course, he played about 60 minutes. Seth Jones loved the guy. He played He played a full hour. He played 67 minutes, which is ridiculous. So um, kudos to all these guys for playing uh, as long as they did. I really, I, I thought it was, I was very frustrated because I just wanted the game to end and it didn't end, but. I'm, I'm going to say Tampa Bay wins this. I think this they're on a mission this year, and I think they're going to they're going to prove to a lot of people that John Cooper is not as bad a coach as a lot of people have been saying. And this team is still for real; they're still a contender. So, I got Tampa Bay winning this series. But again, Columbus they probably have the be- they have probably have the biggest heart out of any team in in this playoff. So, uh, it's going to be hard for Tampa Bay, but I think they're going to get the job done. Yeah, just watching that game, that non-call on Atkinson, that should have been a penalty shot, gets taken down. I think that robbed Columbus of the opening game. I think Columbus, I don't think it's going to be a sweep, but I do see this being a long series. I see Columbus still getting it done in Game 7. I just see the grit on this team. Wierenski is amazing. Seth Jones comes in, plays 65, 67 minutes. And in the post game, he's like, nothing happened. He's just ready to go. He's not even tired. That's insane. Their whole group together, they're probably the best collective group and not like an individual standpoint. Like they all play, stick to the game plan towards, we see how he coaches the team. He's doing the best with what he has and it's showing that they're not a joke in the East. A lot of people may have written them off coming into it, but they beat Toronto at their own game. They frustrated their top scorers. And Tampa, last year, they did that to them with all their grit and their determination. I think they're going to do that again. And this is going to be a surprise here, but what if uh, Mike Babcock ends up being the coach of Tampa Bay next year because Tampa ends up firing John Cooper? I think that's a disaster. I don't think that would be a good idea at all. I think he'd start benching guys like Braden Point and and you know Patrick Maroon because he's too slow. So I don't know. I don't know if Babcock going to Tampa would be a good idea. But um, John Cooper, like you got to give this guy credit to where it's due. He, like, I guess they haven't won, but like they've been there for six consecutive years now. Like they've been at the top of the East at least since 2014, and like no one really talks about that. Like. You talk about dynasties, you talk about, you know, Chicago, you talk about L.A., you talk about Pittsburgh back in the day. 
the, like those teams were dominating their conferences for at least three, four years. And Tampa Bay is literally been dominating twice as long, except they just haven't been able to get the job done. So I think John Cooper, like that's where he gets his flack is he's been at the top for so many years, but still he has yet to reach the mountaintop. You know what I mean? He's at that little mountain before the mountaintop. He's right there, but he can't get to it. And I don't know if it's Sirkachev not gelling on Tampa. I don't know if it's uh, Girardi and McDonough slowing down at a bad time. I don't really know what it is, but their offense is just too damn good, man. Like Braden Point last year looked like a mini version of Patrice Bergeron at times, except a little flashier. Kucherov, you already know, we already know about Nikita Kucherov. This guy last year was putting up NHL video game-like stats. He would have like 20 points in like nine games or something like that. Like his stretches were ridiculous. Steven Stamkos, there's nothing really bad to say about Stamkos other than the injuries. that Alino, imagine Stamkos never went, never had a bad injury. Imagine he didn't break his leg. How great of a player would Steven Stamkos be with Nikita Kucherov, who getting 100 points in this league is not easy. You have Braden Point coming up, who had 80 points last year. We don't even talk about guys like Tyler Johnson and Andre Palat, who've been with this team the last seven years, been this team's DNA for the last seven years. So, man, if Steven Stamkos was never injured, this team would be dominating the NHL. It wouldn't even be a question. This team would be the best team in the league every single year, year in and year out, and we would be praising John Cooper. So it's amazing how storylines happen and and just things change, and that's how it works. Life is unpredictable, and we got we to gotta take that in. So if John Cooper does get fired, I'll be a little bit surprised on, on the one end in that they've dominated the NHL for so many years. But on the other side of things, he hasn't gotten the job done. He hasn't pretend, technically he hasn't gotten the job done, and that's he hasn't won a Stanley Cup with this. Cha- I, again, we just talked about championship DNA. Toronto definitely doesn't have it. Does Columbus have it? I don't think they have that high end superstar goal scorer. But Tampa Bay, I think they have championship DNA. They have Hedman on the blue line, who's a Norris. He's a Norris Trophy candidate every single year. Sirkachev, yes, he's been a disappointment, but this guy is looking like he can he can be one of the best in the league moving forward. And of course, I just talked about the offense and how great they've been. So, Alino, even adding Patrick Maroon, I mean, he won the Stanley Cup last year with his hometown in St. Louis. St. Louis didn't want to keep him for some weird reason. Now he's in Tampa Bay. I like their chances, man. So I think John Cooper getting fired would probably be a bad move. But if you see it like that, that's pretty interesting. And speaking of uh, teams that are disappointing, Pittsburgh Penguins, who uh, they did a lot of trades in the offseason. A lot of them were looking at their team, their cap situation. The big trade was Kessel, who they felt that, okay, he didn't have it anymore. He couldn't contribute to the team. He wasn't uh, going to lead them to another round. It was more of a distraction with him. And uh, he, uh, Kessel ends up going to Arizona. They end up going by the qualifiers smoothly against Nashville. He played a big role in that. And you look at Pittsburgh, they get bounced by the Montreal Canadiens. So they're cleaning house with their assistant coaches. 
but they have to look at their team now. Jim Rutherford said that there's going to be a lot of changes to the roster. If you're looking at that, who are you trading out of this roster? Because uh, I don't think you can trade Crosby. Wow. Um, it, it's a very hard situation with Pittsburgh, kind of like with Toronto up, up, up front. Uh, you have a lot of great guys. Malkin has been on the trade rumor for at least three years, and I'm not trading Malkin to save my life. Like, I'm not trading him. He's still going strong. He put up, I think, 70 and 50 this year. I'm not trading Malkin. I'm not trading Crosby. They have never, ever, ever been the issue for this franchise. Jim Rutherford's been around for a long time. I have full faith and trust in him that he will not trade those two players. I mean, is he really going to be eager and you know curious to maybe trade a Jake Gunsel if they really want to revamp this team because you can't really trade Hornquist his contract is not that great Galchenyuk good god not a great player anymore I don't know what's happened with him uh he had that one great year in Montreal and that was about it um their their bottom six I mean Brian Rust just had a phenomenal year do you trade Brian Rust I guess because his value is at the probably won't get any higher than it is right now. Um, but then, Alino, I look at the blue line, and there's one guy that has been on my mind on the trade block for so many years. And you probably already know who I'm going to say. Number three, Oli Mata. This guy has been on the trade block for, I would say, the last four years. I remember when the Leafs first traded Phil Kessel to the Pittsburgh Penguins, I thought Mata was going the other way. But instead, we got Scott Harrington, <laughs> and that we we all know how that trade went. We ended up getting Freddie Anderson, so I'm not disappointed with how that trade turned out. But man, I'm just looking at Pittsburgh, and I'm looking at their back end, and it's not looking good. I mean, Olimata has not developed as an offensive player, offensive defenseman at all. Uh, Justin Schultz had that one great year, and then he got injured, and. He, ever since then, he's kind of been off and on. Maybe that's another guy you can trade. Maybe a Brian Dumoulin. I don't know how big his contract and his value is. I know he's a great shutdown defenseman. But other than that, I'll, you know, there's not a lot of guys that you could potentially trade um, from this team. I think it, it's very hard. I think the front runners for me, though, are Brian Rust and Olimata that are probably going to be on the move. Yeah, should be interesting there. What if, okay, if, uh, let's say a scenario where they have Evgeny Malkin. And Chris Letang, and they say, "We'll think, we'll consider trading one of those two. We'll listen to the best offers." And let's say a team comes out, offers a bunch of picks for Malkin. Would you still consider trading Malkin, or would you just take the lesser uh, trade offer for Letang? Uh, I, I still think I'm taking the lesser trade offer for Letang. I think Malkin and Crosby, man. I think as long as they're healthy and rolling. They're at least a playoff team. And, you know, when you go in the playoffs, anything can happen. So they've been they've been contenders for years. Um, every time, like even this year, I thought when they went to the postseason and they faced Montreal, I said, you know what? P my Pittsburgh could easily go to the Stanley Cup final again. And I wouldn't be surprised. They have Crosby, Malkin, Gunsel is a playoff machine. He could score at will. Um, but again, like at this point in time, I think it's all about the fit. And Malkin can probably fit on almost any team. Uh, and Chris Letang, the same. I think Chris Letang would maybe look pretty nice in Toronto. Um, again, his contract is a disaster. So we would definitely have to, they would probably have to eat up some some of his salary if this trade were to go through. Maybe you trade Nylander 
for, for Latang and, and they can retain his salary. I think that would be a great benefit for the Toronto Maple Leafs, even though you're trading a 24 year old goal scorer who could potentially hit 80 points in a career year. Um, just imagine Nylander with Malkin or Nylander with Crosby. That would be, that would be scary. So um, I think at that point in time, Chris Latang on any other team would look pretty interesting, but Man, I, I just, I don't know what it is. Like Malkin and Crosby, they've been faithful for so many years and loyal. I just can't see them rocking another jersey. That's just, that's just how I am. I can't see, I can't see Malkin in like, a, I don't know, like a Calgary or a team in the West. I, I can't see it. Yeah, I'm with you on that one. Uh, speaking of disasters, they had that draft lottery show where they were getting the lottery out there all the balls that went into the machine and what a coincidence before they can even confirm that it was a new york rangers logo the guy drops it in the machine picks it back <laughs> up and they win the lottery so i don't know is this a, a coincidence here that that ball just so happened to drop was it the lightest of the bunch was there maybe a magnet in this ball like what was going on here and uh, should people even look more into that or is it just a coincidence Honestly, man, I'm not one to t- to talk about like things being rigged, but it's not looking good for the league. I mean, it's looking pretty rigged. You you talk about the two biggest markets in terms of, you know, where the NHL headquarters and the NHL shop is located, located in New York, and um, you know, they they, they I thought again, we talked what was it? Last September when we were talking we're doing the season preview I remember, I think it was me and you, we said that, you know, the Rangers could potentially be a playoff team, but they're still in rebuild mode. Like, that's just how it goes, right? Rebuilds are usually about three years. You have an off period. And we thought this would be the off period. But all of a sudden, Artemi Panarin comes into this team and he's one of the best players in the NHL, if not the best this year. So it was amazing to see even Zabanejad hit 40 goals and like, 59 games like that's ridiculous you're not going to do that every year but add to the fact that you got the second pick last year in Capo Caco he hasn't really gelled that well and then you get bounced in the first in the round raw or the qualifiers you get swept and then you get rewarded the first pick and you get Lafreniere this guy is going to I said it uh they did a post and I reacted right away to the post and I said you know what I could easily see Lafreniere getting 70 points. If he's with Zibanejad all year, this guy's going to be a freak right out the gate. And um, what we saw with him in Team Canada, this guy is a born, he's, he's, he's basically born a winner. Every, everywhere he goes, there's winning DNA in him. And what he's done on Ramuski, simply phenomenal this year. If, 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 if none of you listeners have seen what he's done in Ramuski, I recommend you go and watch it. He dominated the O this or the Q this year. Absolutely phenomenal player. And then, of course, go look back at the World Junior highlights. Absolutely our best player for sure. It's going to be scary, Alino. I mean, Lafreniere going to this team with Panarin and Kreider and Kako and Buchnevich and even like Elias Anderson, if this guy pans out, this team, man, like they're they're going to be a top five, six seed next year in the East. If everything pans out, clicks. <laughs> Look at Shostorkin. This guy's 23 years old and he's already looking like a starter. He's looking like a, a what is he? I think he's a year older than Carter Hart. So those two guys are going to be the future in the East when it comes to goaltending. This team, Alino, they have it all. 
They have Truba. They have Adam Fox on the back end. They got Anthony D'Angelo. Like this team, they're they're going to be great, Alino. And I don't say this often with the Rangers. I mean, they went to the finals in 2014. This team is looking like they could actually finally get the job done. With Panarin there, the contract at first, 11.5, it's a big contract. But if this guy can play like this every year, that's that's a home run right there. And and, and Zibanejad, I only love it because they basically traded him for Broussard. And I just love seeing Zibanejad prove people wrong. Alino, this is going to be a scary sight come next season. The New York Rangers are for real. Yeah, just looking back at that trade. Oh, man. Broussard for Zibanejad. Just amazing GMs in Ottawa. And yeah, I agree with you there. Lafreniere coming in, a lot of people have to take this into account. He stopped playing in March, so he's had all this time to train. And now coming into this year, it's August. So around this time, a lot of guys are getting into the camp. The rookies are getting in. And then September, October, November is kind of like where some of these rookies struggle out the gate. They're just getting adjusted. All this time now, he's going to be training until then. The season could start in December. So right when this starts, he can hit the ground running. I wouldn't even put it past him to get like close to a point per game, get 25, 30 goals. So this first year, I think a lot of rookies are going to catch some people off guard of how prepared they are for the league. And maybe it's going to cause some of these GMs to make tough decisions with their older players. Like you look at Patrick Marlowe, I don't think he's going to be getting any contract offers, unfortunately. Like I think his time's done. Like players like that who are just on the cusp, just on that borderline of being in the league, being out the league. It's going to be a, a tough no for them. I think a lot of them are going to find out that no teams are going to offer them because you have these 21-year-olds, these 20-year-olds, 19-year-olds coming up right from the draft and they're prepared to play. So I agree with you there. It's going to be an interesting transition for some of these teams. But anything else that surprises you about this NHL Stanley Cup playoffs? Uh, right now, the only thing that has really surprised me is how Calgary is just kind of... They're chucking away. They they keep going. Uh, I watched game one and and Dylan Dubé, another guy that um, his expectations, I think, with this organization were not as high as um, management may be expected. And this guy scored two goals right out the gate in game one against the Stars. Um, the Stars, though, like I remember when we did the again, I'm, I'm bringing up the season preview. I remember when they got Joe Pavelski and Corey Perry. Um, I think we we basically said that, you know, they were a win away from going to the Stanley Cup final last year against St. Louis. And I think adding those two guys was absolutely astronomical. And if Pavelski and, and Corey Perry can get like anything going, and I mean anything at all, and especially with Ben Bishop not playing. I mean, if Ben Bishop is on his game playing, I got Dallas winning the series, no doubt. But Calgary, man, they got the heart of a lion. Um, they, they keep going. I, I've, I've seen a different side of Kachuk in this playoffs that I've seen at, than any other player in Calgary. I think Kachuk should easily be the captain after Giordano. He, he just, he brings that type of edge every single, every single shift. Sean Monahan and Goudreau, yes, they had an off year, but once those guys get going, they, they run the ship, they run the offensive ship in Calgary. So and another guy that's actually, believe it or not, impressed me, Alino, and we've bashed him quite a bit on this podcast, is Sam Bennett. He's looked yeah. pretty damn good in this playoff. I mean, he shut down Brian Little in the in the round robin in the qualifiers, and now he's going up against guys 
like Jamie Ben and Joe Pavelski, and he's actually st- he's 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 sticking to it. And I gotta give Sam Bennett credit for that. I mean, you're, he's not going to score seventy points like he was supposed to, but if he can shut down the top players and he can get around 35, 40 points and be a great penalty killer, then he's you know he's doing a role. He's doing his job. So for me right now, I I really love what Calgary's doing. And last night, I just got to quickly bring this up because this was surprising. Vancouver took it to St. Louis. They won 5-2. Vancouver looks amazing, man. Like Minnesota, I feel so bad for because they didn't win the lottery. And we talked last week how they don't really have an identity moving moving forward. Like they really don't know what they're doing. And I mean, the Vancouver, man, I, for a second, I thought they were going to lose to Minnesota. And I really didn't want that to happen. And thank goodness it didn't. But Jacob Markstrom, man, we keep talking about these goalies that are surprising us, like Robin Leonard last year and and Bennington and all these new up-and-coming goalies. Talk about Corpus Salo, Tristan Jari. How about this goaltender, Jacob Markstrom? This guy's looking amazing. Uh, He's looking like a potential Vesna-type goalie. I mean, I'm pretty sure he was fifth in voting this year for Vancouver. JT Miller... Tampa's definitely kicking themselves trading him. He's looking like a stud on that team. And I just I just love every second of it. You know why? Because they're Canadian teams. So just keep going with it because the Leafs are not going to win. I'm, I'm hoping Vancouver could maybe pull it off. Yeah, I'm with you. That'd be nice to see Vancouver. Nice story there. Elias Pettersson leading the way over there for that team. Good young core. Uh, Calgary, too. That little pest. Kachuk is doing his job. Love players like that. Uh, he gets a bad rap, I guess, for being a dirty player. But if you can find another player that does what he does, scores, be a pest, and shut down a player at an elite level, I don't think there's too many in the league that you can count on one hand. So what he's doing, he earns that contract. Uh, on to the NBA, because this bubble is uh, giving some surprising outcomes. We saw the Pelicans were like one of the favorites to go into that eighth spot. The Grizzlies looked like they wanted to keep that spot. Both of them were playing well. All of a sudden, Portland comes out of the woodwork, just drops everything. You see Damian Lillard going off with 60 points consistently. The Grizzlies lose now a few games in a row. They're outside the playoff picture right now. The Suns come up. They're close to the playoff picture. Devin Booker's playing amazing. The Pelicans dropping out a 13th spot in the West, putting them in that draft lottery where they can get another first overall pick. This Western Conference chase right now is looking pretty good, Chris. Uh, what do you think about this whole playoff picture right now, and what do you think about the teams that just maybe missed out? Well, first things first, I got to give it to all the ESPN analysts because I know they all wanted to see Zion versus LeBron all the media, the media marks out there, they wanted to see Zion versus LeBron. We'll see it maybe eventually. But right now, damn, they did not deserve it. I mean, I'm watching the Pelicans in the bubble. Lonzo Ball is shooting 2 of 14, 5 of 15. And then there's another game he only took like six shots. You're, it's your third, fourth year in the league. You have to have the confidence to shoot the ball. And yes, he is a main, he's, he's basically a facilitator. He doesn't, he's not a shoot first type of player. That's just how he is, Lonzo. But man, oh man, you got to come and you got to play. I mean, you can't be dropping single digit point totals, especially if you're trying to make the playoffs. And it's shown, man. I mean, Drew Holiday, I love that guy. I think he's gone. I think he's leaving the Pelicans this offseason. Um, it, it is Zion's team. Brandon Ingram is also, 
he needs a contract and he will get paid because I think he's the most improved player this year. And again, I don't know if it's their inexperience that got the better of them in this stretch, but they just did not look motivated. They didn't look like they really wanted it. And look at like a perfect team for me to compare with the Pelicans right now, but just like flip the tables is the Spurs. I mean, they're still in it. They're probably not going to make it, but they've been winning games. They beat the Rockets, I think, last night or two nights ago. DeRozan's looking great. Lonnie Walker, Derek White. These guys are all looking really motivated. They really want to be in it. So that, I don't know if it's the coaching. Greg Popovich, you know, he's been a winning coach. He's he's done it all, right? But you have LaMarcus Aldridge, who's also playing very well. A lot of people have actually, they call the Spurs the washed-up team now because, you know, you have Aldridge and DeRozan. We're now on the on the on the other side of thirty, so that's that's something that you know the Spurs have to kind of look at. But I'm just disappointed, man, in the Pelicans because the potential is there and they just did not show up at all. And then I'm looking at teams like the Grizzlies, where I think they easily would have been the eighth seed. It's just based on luck. Jaron Jackson getting hurt; he's probably one of their best scores. If he wasn't, I think he was this year. So that's a big loss right there. And then, of course, who's replacing Jaron Jackson Jr., Josh Jackson, who's a guy that he went from Phoenix to this team on an on a opportunity-type deal, and he hasn't just worked out. So it's unfortunate for Memphis, but, man, we all know. We, we've been praising Damian Lillard all year, and it, this isn't changing. I mean, this guy, call, I, I'm saying he's the best point guard right now in the NBA, and it's not even close. I mean, I guess you consider Luka Doncic the best, but he's six foot nine. So I don't really know if you count that as a point guard, but it is positionless basketball. But what Damian Lillard has done is just ridiculous. I, it, to me, it's outrageous. Like I like the fiery edge that Beverly and Paul George brought, but I think that's absolutely ridiculous that you're calling out a guy like Damian Lillard and you know what he is capable of. He eliminated both of them in front of their faces, and he knows that this guy's going to come with a fiery edge, put some respect on his name. He dropped... 53, 55, 60, and then 61. So this guy is balling out right now. I don't even think he's seeing the ball as orange. I think when he shoots the ball, it's like on fire or it's black. Like this guy is just on fire. The net looks like it's the widest thing ever for him. It's just everything's going in at this point. And man, Portland, I they got Nurkic shooting threes now. They got Carmelo, Slim Mello. This team is looking scary, man. If I'm the Lakers, the way they've been playing, like you said, there have been a couple surprises. I don't know, man. Can can anyone stop Dame on the Lakers? I don't know, man. It's gonna that would be a fun series. I really hope Portland gets the the eighth seed. That would be awesome. And just looking at that, like I think Portland right now are playing the way everyone expected them to play before the season started, maybe having them in the top five, six and Look, Oklahoma City's now in that spot. They're going to be matched up with Houston, it looks like, right now. So Chris Paul against his old team. Uh, we got Portland now so far in that eighth spot. I want to see that, Portland versus the Lakers. And uh, the Suns, I think, are another surprising story. 
Because going into this, it's more like, okay, where's Devin Booker going to go in the offseason? Which of these teams is going to probably look at their roster at the end of this, evaluate and say, okay, we need Devin Booker. And now the success they've had in this bubble, winning seven straight, I think the Suns are looking at next year as being a little bit of a continuation of this where, okay, we were going to keep Devin Booker and we're going to look around at some of the other teams over here that maybe have a role player that we can use. So what should the Suns expectation be for next season? Uh, I'll say relatively what Dallas's expectations were going into last season with Doncic as a rookie. I'll say they should maybe get around 30, 30 to 30, 38 wins next year. Kind of, you know what, you know what, Alino, I'll, I will compare Phoenix to maybe like a Wizards team this year, like in next year. I, 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 I don't know if. I don't know if Phoenix is that playoff team in the West. I don't know if they're that good because the West is absolutely stacked. But what Devin Booker has done um, in this bubble is just, it's astronomical. It's incredible. Uh, Getting the buzzer beater first off of two great defenders in Paul George and Kawhi Leonard. That was amazing. And he just has continued to ball out consistently dropping 35 every game. And you know what? Don't make no mistake about it. Yes, DeAndre Aiden went first overall over guys like Doncic. And if this guy becomes an all-around offensive player, he's seven feet and he could shoot the three. That's deadly. So I really like Phoenix. I really I think they have a, a great pairing in Booker and Aiden. Give them maybe another year or two to develop, and maybe they can become the next Doncic Porzingis duo where they're young, they're up and coming, they're exciting. I wouldn't. I wouldn't fumble. I wouldn't. I wouldn't uh, trade Devin Booker if I'm Phoenix. I think maybe trade Rubio. See if you can get anyone for him or Kelly Oubre Jr. Maybe trade one of those assets to maybe try and get another maybe scoring wing or a three and D type player because Devin Booker is not the greatest offensive player. We all know that, but offensively he's just he's absolutely gifted. So if I'm the Suns. I would maybe relax on expectations for next year just based off this bubble, but I think they're definitely on the, they're on the, they're, they're definitely trending up for sure. Yeah. Just seeing this, like Devin Booker looked amazing. So I think Phoenix now with Aiden, if he can really progress, maybe they can get around a playoff spot. I don't know about next year with the Oklahoma city thunder. Maybe they might come down to earth and uh, not be that playoff team, but uh Another one, Denver, they're creeping up here, but they've lost. They haven't looked that great in the bubble. I think that was a surprise for me. I thought uh, Denver would be a lot better in this bubble. I thought they were going to win maybe six to seven games because of uh, just everyone clicking so well. But the two L.A. teams, if I'm the Lakers and the Clippers, I'm a little worried because you look at Dallas and Portland, those teams aren't a joke. They have a lot of options there that can cause a lot of problems, especially the Lakers. They don't have the depth with Danny Green missing all these shots constantly. We saw the way he played the Raptors. He was non-existent out there. Uh, But in the Eastern Conference now, it looks like the Raptors and Nets are going to go at it. The Bucks and the Magic. And uh, a surprising matchup here, the 76ers and Celtics. And the winner of that would likely play the Raptors. So who do you have in that? And which team would you rather play if you're the Raptors? Wow, um, I think it's a wash, man. I, I I love I love me some Joel Embiid, you know, balling out. But no, nah, man, this, 
The Celtics are too strong. I think without Ben Simmons, this is not a series. I think it'll be five or six games. I love Shake Milton. I like, you know, Al Horford will probably be a little more motivated taking on his old team. But man, Tatum, I think we're just starting to see what Jason Tatum can do. And uh, remember his first playoff run in 2017, he almost eliminated LeBron James. So you add two, three years of experience to that. He's looking dominant. Jalen Brown is amazing. He's been amazing in the bubble. Kemba Walker is finally coming back and slowly becoming a little more healthy. I've been praising the Celtics all year. I, I got the Celtics in six. If, if Ben Simmons was, was in this series, it could easily be Sixers in six. But I'm going to go with the Celtics here to win this series. And if the Celtics face the Raptors, that's easily the series. That's the series of the playoffs, no doubt about it. And now the Sixers, I think everyone was looking at this to see if the Simmons and Bede combo at the four and five spot would work. Now let's say that Embiid is able to lead this team, but they still get eliminated by the Celtics. What do you do in the offseason? Like, do you still trade Embiid or Simmons, or do you give them another run with Simmons back in the lineup, hopefully healthy, and maybe some changes around them in terms of depth? Well, they talked about it in Get Up with Jalen Rose, and I really liked what Jalen had to say about this matter. Um, I wouldn't break up the process. I think Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons, they're, they're a good duo. I think they can work it out. It's just now with managing the contract situations. You got basically three max contracts on your team, and Tobias Harris, Embiid, and Simmons. And even Al Horford's contract is no no picnic either, so... I think you need to move Harris. I think that's the priority for them in the offseason is maybe to move Tobias Harris, maybe open up. Um, with, with with Harris's contract going, you could easily sign two guys that are willing to maybe make Philly better. And what, what have I said year in, year out? Philly needs to get shooters. They need to get three-point shooters. If they start getting three-point shooters, Ben Simmons can be that main facilitator that opens up space on the court for those shooters and then they could start winning a lot more games. And we saw how great Embiid and Simmons were at home in Philly. I'm pretty, I'm pretty sure they lost like four games all year at home. So like Philly at home is no issue. They're one of the best teams at home that I've ever seen. They're no issue at home. It's just the way and Joel Embiid's health, you know, doing the load managing, playing around 60 games and, you know, taking a little bit more of a night off away. I've noticed it. I think everybody's noticed it when he's away. He doesn't have as big of performances than he does in Philly. So that's one thing right there that he's got to change his attitude when it comes to when you're away, you still got to play as hard as you are when you're home. That's just how it is. You're a pro. You should have that mentality. So that's one thing with Joel Embiid. That's probably the only negative with Joel Embiid's game other than he takes too many threes. But he has to because there's no shooters. So I think when, when Philly starts getting shooters, that is when this team will start coming together and the process may finally work. But for now, I'm still trusting the process. I am not trading either of them this offseason. Yeah, should be interesting. Uh, yes, uh, we'll end it off there. Uh, this next week is going to be eventful for the NBA as uh, the playoffs start. And uh, maybe next week we'll have Mikey's Minute again just to hear some of the reaction to seeing his former team get eliminated from the qualifying round. So not even the playoffs, the qualifying round. So it'd be I, fun to I guarantee he was out there enjoying fishing. So he's good. <laughs> he probably had a relaxing week. 